Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Welcome everybody, my name is Daniel Bernard. I'm a sports industry executive, investor and entrepreneur. And it is with great pleasure that I introduce to you the inspiring leadership series and I hand over to your host, the formidable, charismatic and wonderful Jonathan Bowman Perks. <laughs> Daniel, we'll have to get you on stage. I think uh, <laughs> master of ceremonies. I think we'll have it at some of the conference events. Daniel, <laughs> great to have you on here and a mutual friend of ours, Brian J. Esposito, who is a remarkable man. He very kindly introduced us and he knew the two of us would have a lot of fun. And in our last uh, warm up session where we're getting to know each other, I just so enjoyed it. There was just such energy that comes from you as a leader, as an investor, as an entrepreneur. So I think you've got a lot of experience. You're a strategic advisor to many different firms. But as we were discussing, I think there's there's the next big business in you and I'm dying to know what it is. And I think people should invest in you as well again, because you're bound to repeat it. I find this with successful leaders, they, they're successful and then they sort of only like semi step down the pace a bit and then they go, I think I'll do it all over again. I know people who've done that. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. all over again. So, um, Daniel, uh, tell us a little about what you're doing right now. And then we'll go back to you as a young lad and uh, <laughs> how you grew up and how you happened to end up in Israel from the UK. So let's, let's hear a bit, of a, a bit of the story. Firstly, what you're doing now. So today I'm uh, an investor into sports technology startups. Um, and I sit on some boards, either as an advisor or a strategic consultant, uh, mainly to businesses that I've either set up myself or been an integral part of uh, over the years. And that's following a 20, 21 year career in the sports industry. Um, so I've got to know one or two things about that. I don't know how to do anything else, so that sports is my thing, uh, spanning from broadcaster media, sports data, sports betting. And that's it. So today, yes, as you said, investor and a strategic advisor, basically. Brilliant. And now, Tell us as, as a young lad, who, who were the people who were influential to see the successful leader you are, an investor, and entrepreneur? Where did it all begin? You know, who, who shaped you as you went along? What kind of things happened to you in your life, how you moved around the world, different countries you've lived in? Just give us a bit of a flavor in, I don't know, five, 10 minutes. Um, so I think obviously looking back to um, my childhood, my parents were hugely influential for me um, in two very different ways. When I look at my mother and my father, they I grew up in, in an era where they had uh, a joint business that they ran. Um, so, you know, around the kitchen table, the discussion was much more around, not that they involved me in it as a young child, but you heard this and you pick up on, on business discussion rather than I'm working my nine to five and punching a clock and then coming home. So I think that that sort of mindset from a very early age was ingrained in me. Um, now, if I think about the two very different people that my mother and father are, my father's very, very logical, A plus B equals C, um, low risk. And my mother was completely the opposite. Um, and I think for, when I think of back to it, my mother had probably the biggest influence on me, this concept that the sky is not the limit. Anything is possible. You know, she, she used to do things and say things that were way outside of uh, what people would expect. You know, no, I'm not saying sometimes, <laughs> which she went way over the top, uh, but I'm saying just 
she was noticeable always. She's this little five foot woman and she's like very noticeable. But my friends always used to say, you could always hear her before you see her, you know, this sort of thing. And everyone knew my mother, everyone knew my mother. She was like the yellow pages as well. Everyone would say, oh, you know, this is before internet. People would say, oh, I wonder where you can get X. And then someone would say, oh, Daniel's mum will know. That, that was always the way. Because she was just, I suppose, that early example of a, of a connector, of a fixer, of a networker. She just knew everyone because she talked to everyone. And I remember when I was a teenager, she was pushing me to, to do like weird and wacky things, uh, or what actually seemed to me as weird and wacky. And that, I think, ingrained in me the uh, ability to think, well, everything's really possible. Um, because my mum would say, why don't you take a year off and go and serve in the Israeli army or go on kibbutz or do some work some other country. And my mother was pu forcibly pushing me out the house you know, <laughs> through her love, not through her rejection, uh, to say, go, go explore and go find through the unknown amazing things. And uh, you know, that really started a, a string of um, extended trips abroad, not really backpacking, even though I did a bit of that as well, but working abroad in various situations. And, and that was an Im immense education for me uh, because that's where you really get out of your box, you know, where you realize, oh, things aren't always the way I was brought up to believe they are. There are different perspectives, different ideas. And, mm. and that concept has served me hugely well throughout my life and will continue to. And I think it also, from my experience with you, gives you that what we call uh, cognitive intelligence, that, um, that acceptance of people of difference and cultural difference and um, always willing to listen and pick up a different perspective. I found that in you, is that, is that fair? Absolutely. Um, and I feel that that's, that's a combination of two things. It's not something that I feel I've, I've tried to learn. It's sort of built in with me. When you think about my background a little bit, my mother was born in India to Iraqi parents. And wow. my father was born in uh, London to a Polish father and a Russian mother who met in Germany before the war. And so, and then I, I was born in London. I'm now living in Israel, married to a woman of Yemenite background. My kids don't have a clue who they are, but they're loving the salad of everything that goes on in our family. Um, and so even from birth, I come from such a diverse background. So, you know, the, the food at home, the sometimes the uh, Arabic swear words my grandma used to say in, <laughs> in angst, and the, it, there's so much difference and diversity around me that it was just within me from, from birth, really. And then when you complement that with having lived in five different countries, lived and worked in five different countries, and beyond that, I've worked with um, many, many more different uh, locations around the world, so I had to interact with so many people. So you get to a stage where diversity is the norm. It's not, it's not like, oh, wow, look how diverse we are. No, this is just normal. And that's a blessing. That's a real blessing. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Well, what fascinating experiences. And in all this uh, experience you had with mum, who sounds fascinating, and even it, it is interesting, a number of the inspiring leaders that have been on the series, they, they have had these very different kind of parents. Mum gave one, dad gave another. I mean, in my particular case, my father was a fast jet pilot. My mother was quite sort of philanthropic and, and what she could help with the community. And so when my father was killed when I was two and a half, you just had the one side, but she was trying to give me experiences that she knew I was missing because I didn't have both. And I think, I think that sort of does shape us, uh, whether people want to acknowledge or not, it shapes us massively. And so looking at your life, your, um, 
proudest moment and your darkest moment? What would you bring out as an example of, of a proudest moment and what you learned from that? And what then on the other side would you give as a darkest moment, maybe work or, or, or personal life, and what you learned from that? Okay, uh, let's start with the positive one, the proudest moment. So, uh, and I'm, I'm going to focus on work on this one. So um, I was running a business uh, that was um, quite significant and we had teams in multiple countries and I was the, the lead and uh, we were in a really critical phase of the business and all of a sudden regulations changed and I basically was forced into completely altering the setup, the delivery team, I had to, um, I say it's the proudest moment, but it started with one of the most difficult things I've ever had to deal with, which was because of regulatory change, I had to turn up and, and release uh, a team of 40 odd people, um, which was a real test on how to do something so difficult with compassion. Um, uh, and that was the start of it. It was one of the hardest days of my professional career, without a doubt. Uh, because the team had done nothing wrong. They were a good team and I'd gotten to know them very personally. Uh, so that was very, very difficult. And then I sat down with my core team. I said, right, what are we going to do to execute this change? And it meant setting up companies in different jurisdictions, legal changes, product changes, IT, complete new IT setup. And it was just, it was a project. It was an enormous project though, uh, at a time that was critical for this business. And uh, it was the last thing you wanted to have to deal with this instead of actually trying to develop a business which was on the cusp of really doing well. And it was a nine month deal. And I knew that I couldn't take longer than that. And that was really trying to do much more than what was a nine month job in nine months. And just to cut a long story short, I, re I remember so vividly, uh, and there was ups and downs, it was a complete roller coaster and flying every week or two and just trying to make sure that things were still going because this was a live business at the same time whilst we're trying to make this massive change and then there was that final piece in the puzzle and we had a deadline and I was just walking on my own in the street in in Israel and I got this call basically to confirm that it, it had been done and it was wow. successful and the feeling of achievement you know for my team not not just me you know i was the lead but my team my core team we were five of what we had had what we had done in you know we had ridden such difficult waves to get to where we needed to be and i was like walking down the street literally clapping like this you know i was clasping my hands together on my own you know listening to this call um it reminded me i don't know if you've seen the the will smith film the pursuit of happiness I have, uh, I have, I like it. Yeah. Bit, of, bit of a spoiler for anyone who hasn't seen it, but there's that bit at the end when he gets the job, spoiler, as I say, and he's walking down Wall Street, just like, you know, that's how I felt. And it was just this elation inside that we'd have we'd literally had achieved something. We'd had to let some, a lot of people go through no fault of their own. We'd created about 50 new jobs and taken the company now to a different level. And then it, it went on to succeed very, very well. That was, I think, Honestly, the, the proudest moment, I think, uh, one of the proudest moments of my career, the center that, that I had. And what, and, was the, um, and what was the learning from it? So you're really proud of it and, and what you'd achieved. Yeah. But what did you learn from it that's, that you've applied to other things in your life? Um, I think the, the thing that's, so I, I learned from things we got extremely right, which was honesty with everyone, you know, um, not trying to pull the wool over people's eyes, not trying to sugarcoat things, say it how it is. Um, and just pulling people together through that truth um, 
to be focused all on one core objective and then just keeping people aligned with that throughout that difficult period. Um, you know, the way we, we did that, and it was really my, my team was, I was blessed with an unbelievable set of people who uh, would always challenge me on things that they didn't agree with, which is exactly what you want. Um, and, uh, and it was amazing. So I think that was, you know, just it was a stamp of just be true to, to yourself and to, to others around you. Don't try and put a, you know, put a nice tail on things. It, it, mm. it doesn't help. It will always catch up with you. So. Yeah, that's, that's good advice. And before we go into the, the darker side, I have to say I'm, I'm drawn. People who will be listening won't see this. But in your room, you have this picture of what looks like an athlete, a basketball player. And he's got his arms stretched out in the crucifix. But in one hand, he's got yeah. this huge basketball. But yet his arms are absolutely rock steady. What's the story behind it? And who is it? It might not be anybody you know. I don't know. It's someone everyone knows. I'm going to come and show you. Why not? Look, this is a very, actually a very famous picture of the the goat michael jordan and this wow. is this picture is called wings yeah. and the uh quote underneath by william blake says no bo no bird soars too high if he soars with his own wings wow wow I love it. that, I that is that. michael jordan who you know i think is one of the most incredible characters from the sporting world ever um and uh and that's a, that's a very famous picture of him um and I love it. I love that picture being here. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it uh, really, yeah, ca really catches me. It motivates me. I mean, I was like, I want to go out and do that myself. You know, I've just been tra training <laughs> this morning in the gym. Yeah. And no, it's life size. It's life yeah. size as well. So you see how how his span of his arms is just so much bigger than, than ours. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's an awesome picture. Hey, look, that was great. Now, uh, with all the, the positive energy that comes from that, let's also because life is full of things that work well and things that don't, but what you learn from it, and whether you see it as failure or just a, a, um, a teachable moment, what, what is one of your darkest moments in work or personal life, and what did you learn from it? Um, okay, so, I mean, I've had a, had a few, a number of failures, but I don't think, I don't consider them as dark moments, to be honest, you know. Um, in fact, it was my first business failure that, that led me to moving to Israel in 99, and marrying my wife. I mean, I, I, I thank God for that failure every single day, basically. Um, apart from that, I also learned how not to set up a small business, <laughs> a lot of good, uh, good lessons. So I don't see those as dark moments, not the failures, they're just part of our journey. But um, so I had uh, a very, very difficult experience um, about 12 years ago, 13 years ago. Um, my wife and I had set up our company together and we were working um, no, together for what ended up as eight years, um, which was incredible and challenging at the same time. Uh, I had one of our employees, one of our most senior employees was a guy who um, uh, I got very close with and, uh, and I used to share like everything with him, even beyond his remit. It was a small sort of smallish business back then. And everything was great for a long time. And then all of a sudden my wife started to sense something wrong. And uh, you know, in retrospect, she was totally right, but let's put that aside. She started to send something wrong and I was totally blind to it. And I sort of, I basically waved her away saying, you, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, you're, you're dreaming this. And she, she felt very, very concerned. And, and of course, a few months later, things did explode in a, in a bad way. And the reason I, I look back at this as one of my darkest moments is because not only was I totally blind and um, 
almost intentionally blind to what my wife was trying to say to me. Uh, but then my handling of it, um, when it came to light that she was actually right, was was dreadful. Um, the the number of mistakes I made were enormous, um, but I think the biggest one was that I let my lo my logical mind rule over everything, and particularly over my compassion. Yeah. Um, and you know, I I don't think I realized that for a long time afterwards. And and also what the the hardest thing for me to uh, to admit, but it's it's right to admit it, is that who was I even you know not compassionate enough about? It was the person who was closest to me in my whole life, and it caused huge difficulty both at work and at home. Um, it's amazing that we managed to get beyond that because it was a big failing of mine for sure. Yeah, uh, and it is interesting. I've come across this a number of times with CEOs where their loyalty to a particular person when others are saying either through the 360 that I do with them sometimes when they get some quite some quite tough feedback yeah um that they're blind to a certain person that's not good for their organization and the person the people who are closest to them often can call out that the emperor has no clothes mm -hmm. but ironically because they're so close to you you sometimes don't listen to them and time and again leaders who I've worked with, their partner, male or female, has said something to them, which maybe a year later, I'll say the same thing. And they go, yes, yes. And, I, and they go back to their partner and say, my, my coach has, has really challenged me on this and I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this now. And they go, but I've been saying that to you. Why didn't you listen to me? A year ago, I said that to you. Why not? You know, they get really, they get really understandably. Yeah. And I know I've done that with Lee, my wife, that she's spotted. And so this is why I'm much more open to, any coaching or advice that she gives however hard it may be that the people who love you the most and are closest to you the most will give you the most honest feedback they because they know it's good for you and if they don't they're doing you a great disservice does any of that resonate Daniel? 100 i mean there's the thing that I, I could say a number of things about my wife but the um the most incredible thing about her is she's all about truth yeah. all about truth um and sometimes it's hard for other people as well. Um, but I learned through that experience, uh, first of all, to, to not doubt her automatically, let's say, you know, um, but certainly to, um, to listen first and foremost to her when she's got uh, some comments to make about whatever it may be, because she has this sixth sense that I don't have, uh, which is proven right time and time again. Um, but as I say, that the, the my big failing there, my biggest failing was to constantly think about the, the logic in my mind and sweep that compassion under the carpet and then sort of put in her face the logic, which was wrong. In retrospect, found out that that was wrong. But even if it was right, it was still not the right thing to do. Yeah, and my, my good friend, uh, Paul Chapman, uses the, the, the four quadrants of head, heart, gut and wallet that you, you, you can, by all means, 89 billion neurons, use the logic of, of logically how would you approach this. But then the heart, what does your heart, listen to your heart, what does it say? There's 40,000 neurons around your heart, the mini brain, as you know from your, your science and your background, feeding you in. And then the gut with 100 million neurons in there and all the microbiome and the, the signals that you're getting from that tube that runs through your body and is connected with the outside world, that you're getting lots of signals from the second brain. And if you're not listening to the heart and the gut, you're missing a lot. And then finally, the wallet logically and financially, does it make sense? And I, I find those are good 
a good four to check on a decision head heart gut and wallet does that does that have some some tune for you absolutely and i'm just wondering where you were 13 years ago <laughs> you're, gonna help. you're gonna save me a lot of pain and uh, i'd have well, now thinking about the darkest moment because that <laughs> yeah, yeah no well that's interesting but um but talking of pain and pleasure let, let's um go back to the young daniel bernard when you were let's say 16 um daniel from all that you've learned now in those in those 30 years since then what advice would you give to your younger self if you you went back to the future and saw yourself and said worry about these things but don't worry about those what what would be your bit of advice on those two areas um i think one of the one of the major things that i'd like to say to anyone at that age um and it's not necessarily to me who i was at 16 because i feel that honestly i've i've been blessed with one particular strength which has really helped me and I go back to my mother, I think it was a lot to do with her, is that I'm not worried at all about the unknown. And most people aren't like that. Most people constantly worry about the unknown and that paralyzes them. And my natural uh, <laughs> almost disregard for the unknown allows me to just step forward and see what happens. And when you step forward and see what happens and you, you then gain experience, you step forward a bit more smart, smartly next time and uh, with a bit more experience, um, then you can do incredible things and meet incredible people and, and fail at things to learn more things to then succeed at bigger things later on. And so I, I find myself talking a lot to my, um, my son who's 19 and his cohort of friends. I, there's this theme all the time. It's like, they come and chat to me. It's like, well, what about this? What about that? And I'm like, why are you worried about what you just don't know? You know, think about what you do know and then go find out what you don't know by action. Because all this constant worry leads to inaction. And that's, that's one of the, um, the biggest sins really is, is just not doing stuff yeah. in life. And, uh... I, I, that's brilliant. That's really, really sound advice. And particularly the, um, you know, have a go um, and learn from it. And, and yeah. it was uh, General Storming Norman Schwarzkopf in the, the first Iraqi war. We talked about the Iraqi connection. And um, he said, look, I'd rather have you fall on your ass in peacetime than, than in war. Go and have a go with good intention and learn from it, but but do it. Okay, we don't have the benefit of peace or war in in our businesses, but actually, I, I think many people are too scared to try things out, which which they would learn a lot from. Okay, let's go. Let's go around the. Go on, sorry, Dan, you had one other point there. I'll give you one more piece because there was thing because that was saying is I was naturally like that, but there was something I had to get taught when I was in my first post university job. And I was working actually out in the south of Spain for a British company. And I was 23 years old, I think, fresh out of university. And I was classic, you know, I was smart, but then completely unrelated to that, I thought I knew it all. And, um, and you come into this, this company and you, you think, oh, that's not working right, that's not working right. And you're this 23 year old schmuck basically saying, this isn't well, this isn't right. And you're going around trying to fix everything and, or, and complaining about things. And I remember there was one of the senior executives there who I got on very, very well with. And he once turned around at me when I was like openly sort of criticizing a little bit why things aren't working and how they could work much better. And he looked at me and he goes, were you born in a perfect world, Daniel? Mm. And it really made me sit back and think, he's right. What am I, what am I imagining that's going on here? Yeah. And you know what, that's, 
how long, 23 years ago, I doubt he ever realized how much those words impacted him. And I think it's, it's amazing. Sometimes people can tell you things and they, they have no idea. They don't even remember they said it. But those words really clarified to me that my focus on the imperfections was make, were making me negative, were giving a negative vibe. Instead of saying, right, okay, it's not perfect. And that's actually okay. That was a really big lesson for me. Yeah, that's, that's really good. And, and you, you've drawn from me, I think one of the British prime ministers could have been uh, Disraeli, um, said, never complain, never explain. And um, which was his little little mantra. But I, I do think time and again in some of the fintech and the tech startup uh, teams that I work with around the world, that I'm thinking of a couple who particularly are clever people, but they're always pulling others apart and what won't work about it. And almost like a damp blanket on it. Yes. Whereas there are others who are very positive about, okay, what are we gonna learn from this? Let's move on. Okay, what can we achieve together? And they lift a group. So, so it's the drains or radiators. Are you a drain uh, and you suck like Harry Potter's Dementors, you, you, you are an expiring leader, you suck the life out of people, or are you an inspiring leader without being too gushing and ridiculously positive? But yeah but healthy about it and the thing on on the on the positivity i'm reminded of um the research that came from the korean war from the the prisoners uh, and in in the japanese prisoner of war camps the the the, uh, the colonial uh, and british tr troops who were there that the ones who lived the longest were the realistic optimists the the utter gushing optimists died earlier almost like a broken heart because they said we'll be released at christmas Christmas came and went and then we'll be released in the summer or in Easter and it didn't and and eventually literally just gave up the ghost because all their thoughts never came to happen the pessimists died as well because they just thought it was grim they were never going to get out but it's yeah. sort of to be a realistic optimist I think is yeah. helpful does that relate to you absolutely I mean you can't sell a story without basis you know I think about it whenever I've set up a team um, I'm I'm very much an optimist and very much a positive person um, in fact, a, a colleague I work with, he goes, you managed to always put a positive slant on anything that happens. I was like, well, that's a good thing, isn't it? As long as it's not detached from reality, which is touching on what you said. If I'm talking to a team, let's, let's look at what the situation is. Let's analyze it and let's think what opportunity this gives us. Um, so it has to be, like I say, realistic uh, optimism, uh, a positivity that is not detached from the reality that you're living is absolutely critical. Yeah, no, very true. And, and on the theme of inspiration, let, let's go around the Inspiring Leadership Compass, the work that Lee and I uh, did over the last 20 years about what makes high-performing leaders like you and others uh, and the teams that they have. And we found these, these eight components seem to be a good framework around which to sort of check in and see how you're doing against them. The first one is MQ, your moral quotient, your values, your principles, your beliefs. And we, we call it the sort of the tip of the compass. It's where the true north needle points and true north means whatever you're doing these values and these principles still are crucial to you what are your top three principles and values that you live by maybe you've come from childhood mum dad whatever what, what are your top three wow um well truth i think is, is yeah. critical i mean it's, it's an obvious one i know but but i think it's really really important truth um and that even though it's obvious i think it's not always that easy yeah. it's truth to yourself you know, which, how often can we lie to ourselves about certain things, about things mm -hmm. that we've done? Mm -hmm. um, so you've got to sort of imagine there's someone looking at you the whole time thinking, hang on, 
Are you being true to yourself? And true well, to uh, there's, there's a lovely saying, make mirrors into windows. Mm. Yeah, you're, you're constantly <laughs> looking at the mirror, me, me, me. Yeah. You need to look at yourself in the mirror, but then what, what, where can you take it? And who are you being honest to and who are you, who you're lying to? Yeah, okay, one, one is truth. What was the second one? Um, so uh, tolerance mm. is critical for me. Um, but again, automatic for me, rather than something that I've had to work at just because of my background and everything. You know, it's, uh, it's one of the reasons that I'm so delighted with um, everything that's happened in the, uh, the Middle East in the last year and a half with the Abraham Accords. And um, Israel has been opened up to the GCC, or is starting to get opened up through the Emirates in particular. And I love the Emirates. And one of their major pillars is tolerance. Um, you know, they have 200 nationalities there, and they're very proud of that that they will accept anyone to come in um, and live and work. And it's a real belief of mine that how important that is. And they've, they've shown great courage in, in signing the Abraham Accords and accepting Israel uh, under a lot of pressure. Um, and this is a real test of their tolerance, really. It's not mm. like just, oh, I'm tolerant, but just up to a certain level. They really... I, I, I love that. And in fact, just staying with that, I think when you said the second one of tolerance, I think it, it's it's quite a, a groundbreaking recognition of someone else. And I think two things flow from tolerance. Non-judgmental of people who are different from you, race, religion, color, whatever it might be, sexuality. And the second one of acceptance of what is. And I think most people get very mentally ill when they cannot accept what is and they think it should be what they want it to be, but it's it, but it's not, it's like, like that. And they yeah. go, but it, but it shouldn't be like that. It should be like this. Now, of course, that drives change in the world uh, and, and innovators and entrepreneurs. But also, I think, to begin with accepting what is before you look at what is possible. Yes. What's your thoughts? That's, that's a very, very good way to put it. I mean, how many times I've sat around, let's say, in meetings, and um, it sounds like a, you know, a very cliche thing that someone will throw into the air. But you know what? It really helps when you've got a bit of a crisis and instead of like you know going through it again and again and again someone sits there and goes well it is what it is now let's see how we deal with it and that it's going back to what you're saying it is what it is come on let's just uh, let's accept that let's not try and force our view on changing it because we don't have control over everything it is what it is now let's see how we interact with that situation or that person if you want to take it to a different level um and not, let's not just put what we believe the world should be or that situation should be and try and force it so definitely that definitely resonates with no me. really really like that okay so let's go from the first of the eight which is uh, your moral quotient by the way what was your third one you had truth tolerance and what was your third uh i think um support of the weak is something yeah. that i really believe in um when you and and this i believe in across the board if you're in a company for example I, i'm you want the best person for the job you want the you know, obviously the best team, the best everything. But within your team, you're going to have different levels. Now, logically, and I've seen this with many people as well, it's like, well, they're, they're a bit below par. What do you do with someone who's below par? Do you do actions, whatever they are, that will actually force them further and further below par, and then you get rid of them? Or do you actually work hard, harder to support them than you would the others because they don't need your help to bring them up to par? And that's something that I really, really believe in because the best teams are not ones which have five superstars and then 50 below average people. 
the best teams, in my opinion, are if you take the same numbers, 55 pretty good people who know how to work together and, and focused on the same sort of uh, core objective. That is a much, much stronger. I want that team over the five rock stars any day of the week. Yeah, and, and it is this whole area is fascinating about high performing teams. And, and um, the book um, No Rules Rules by Reed Hastings is quite an interesting read, the next like, CEO, where he did want just a few players who are really good. However, what is quite interesting is, is you do want high caliber people, um, but you want people to play to their best of who they are. And um, we've seen time and again where you get, I don't know, English football team where, uh, in the past with in lots of Premier League players from the best, you know, almost like the uh, fantasy football. You can choose your players and make a team up, but they never perform very well because they haven't got that, that camaraderie and perhaps they're too much um, prima donnas. But I do think um, when you've got people who are high quality, you mustn't forget them. And I'm sure that wasn't your intention. But sometimes people spend so much time with the, the problem child in a family or whatever, that the children who are behaving well, or the, the colleagues who are behaving well, they go, what about me? You know, like, I just want a bit of attention. And so sometimes they start playing up in order to get some negative strokes from the leader. I don't know what, uh, but, what comes from you. Well, from my point of view, the way you do it is you actually... Um, empower those stars, if you like, to help you bring the others up. You don't treat them as separate, we're a team. So you actually say, I need your help with this person to bring him up. And then he has that improved, increased significance to what he's doing as well, because he's, and if, and this way you can actually encourage um, a mentality in your, a culture in your business of helping the weaker person. Brilliant really important yeah and, and it's remember to send the lift back down if you've been successful in your life as you have and, and you are very successful and and you've done incredibly well um how you send the lift back down with you in it to bring people in and and lift them up too which is which is what your next project's going to be as we're going to discuss that on another time um let's go around to the second one pq meaning and purpose what gives your life meaning purpose the, the indians uh, and there's that indian connection in your family this this dharma, you, you're, you're calling your vocation. Uh, why do you do what you do, Daniel? And if you were really living your dharma, <laughs> what's the next step? Um, for me, it's all to do with people. Um, I, I get huge satisfaction from doing whatever it is to create positive impact with other people. In fact, my wife and I, we share this. Um, in our company that we set up, um, there are a lot of student roles here as well. You know, it's a data company, so there's a lot of student roles. Um, so there's a lot of turnover as well of staff. Um, in fact, it, and it's healthy turnover. They, you know, often with us for three years, which is actually longer than uh, uh, full-time people, but uh, in normal companies, but they're here for the three years because they're doing their BA and then it's time for them to spread their wings and, and fly the coop and be the lawyer that they're set up to be or whatever. Um, but if you, I think my wife and I, if you ask either of us, what is what makes us most proud about the company that we set up and um, created into what is now a mature company, well-functioning company, it's not the revenues or the bottom lines. It's the fact that we've been able to give employment to probably over 2,500 people mm. over the last, uh, what is it now, 17 years. Mm. And wow. that fulfills me with a huge sense of achievement. Um, of, of achieving something that, that is important to us is that we've, we've been able to give work 
which in Israel has no, you know, never been a, a thing to take for granted. No, no. And, and, and I think this, this resonates strongly with what I'm experiencing here, that I, I'm, you know, got my business, my wife has her business, which is coaching, team development, um, broadcasting. But how can I influence the most people in my life before I die? Because, you know, I will die, you know, at some stage and it probably be sooner than I wanted. Um, just like my, my late brother, David, who, who died earlier last year and didn't see that coming. But but I find broadcasting is a great way to go out to get your message, you, Daniel Bernard, to get your message out to 185,000 people in over 55 countries that they can listen to what you say or watch it on YouTube and they go, that's really interesting. Right. And just like that person who said to you, do you live in a perfect world, Daniel? Yeah. You know, that made such an impact on you 23 years ago that you have never forgotten that. Yeah. And in my case, I, I met the guy who, who my father saved his life. And he said, you've got a choice, Jonathan. You can be a victim, poor me, no father. Or you can make your father your inspiration for the inspiring leadership work you do to teach others what you've learned from other inspiring leaders. And that's why we're doing this broadcast. So I think... PQ, meaning and purpose is really important and keep coming back to it, not just you, but everybody listening, Daniel, to why are you doing what you do? Are you living a life on purpose or off purpose? And I think part of the reason that we're having this conversation is to get you back on purpose yeah. of why <laughs> you're here. What is your dharma? Is that fair? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Because, okay. you know, it's not, I know it sounds corny, but it's not about you know, making a higher yield or anything. It's like, it's lovely, you know, very nice. I'm not going to reject it. And that's great. You know, I enjoy, you know, when business is successful, whatever. But that's not what drives me from the inside. Um, not at all. And I learned that about myself a long, long time ago. Good. Well, let's talk about what drives you. One of your interests is in the whole world of sports and mm -hmm. fitness. And the next, the third of the eight components is uh, HQ health question and I can tell you and I are babbling so much and I'm babbling more than you that we're <laughs> going to go way over time so I'll keep some of these things a bit bit faster quick okay. firing health question top tip on mental health and on physical health from all your experience Oof. physical health um, and uh, I never find myself doing this but um, it's much easier to get motivated if you have a part to do something with um so i cycle and i run a bit and whatever and, and i just because of the way my life is i never find the ability to actually do that with someone else and i fully recommend that because then you can motivate one another and it's much much easier um life is nicer anyway with with other like-minded people so if you can do that i think that's so important and and making sure you understand that you know when it's hard it's good and if it feels tough to go and do a 15 minute run it's only 15 minutes and just think about, you know, trying to force yourself into thinking that it's, it's a little bit of discomfort for what is essentially going to be um, very healthy for you. And, uh, uh, and it could be a run, it could be a cycle, it could be a swim, whatever, but um, it is so important to get into that, that habit. And I, I do everything on my own just because I never managed to, um, to find a, a partner at relevant times because my life's no routine whatsoever. But I think that that's, that's a tip. Definitely try and do what I don't do is, is find a partner who you can, get motivated one by the other. Mental health, mental health. Um, I think from a mental health point of view, make sure in the craziness of life that you, um, you do think about what's important for you 
as an individual. Um, men do this much more automatically than women. You know, we're naturally selfish sort of creatures, men. Um, and women, uh, as, you know, not to generalize too much, but often their fault is they take care of the rest of the world and then they're left with themselves at the bottom of the pile. And that's often why there are a lot of arguments between it's like, well, you know, make sure whoever you are that you find time for yourself and what you need. And first thing is asking yourself, what is it you want and what is it you need? And um, because what happens if, if you've gone so many years not taking care of what is good for you alone, you actually forget that and you lose your, you know, like I, I've asked my mom recently, who's 74, she's been so busy taking care of the rest of the world. Like, what is it you want? She goes, oh, well, you know, with your father, I'll be like, what is it you want? Mm. And I'm really pushing her recently about this because she just doesn't ask herself that question nearly enough. And we all need to. So for our mental health, we need to think what we need. Put, put yourself in the center of your own universe and then you'll actually be able to help a lot of other people. I'm, I think that a lot of people know me as very generous, very selfless, but I take care of myself. I think yeah. that the reason I'm generous and, and can help as many people as I possibly can is because I take care of myself as well. Very, very wise advice. And I'm wearing this aura ring. And I think, have you come across aura ring in your many gadgets? So I used to have a whoop strap, uh, which goes with the Apple Watch, which records heart rate variance and things like that. But this is quite good because it doesn't need another watch. And it records temperature and sleep and heart rate variance and heart rate. And so when I'm doing activities, but back to what you're saying about mental health, it also makes sure I get balance in my life so that I'm not just training, you know, four times a week, hit training in my gym but i'm also doing yoga on the other days to stretch yeah. and be flexible and having walks with my wife and with the dogs and things uh and it's great and it's lovely this thing about training with someone i so agree when my wife has a personal trainer i'm so self-motivated I, I don't really need one but when he uh, once a week i get him she's quite protective of him because she liked having the, the, <laughs> the trainer for herself but but she lets me she's very kind that she lets me have one session with him a week otherwise i take over and i dominate everything um and 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 when he trained with me i pushed myself to the absolute limit and yeah. it, it's back to sort of training for airborne training and things like that just when you're with a buddy you really push push hard um quick fire eq what would be your top tip on you know you clearly have good rapport building skills you love people and helping them develop and they're the weaker ones What's your top tip on emotional and social intelligence? Uh, well, I think it starts when you're young. Try and try to get out as much as possible in areas that you're unfamiliar with. Um, so just like my mother did with me, I am in massive favor of kids at the age of, let's say, if they take a gap year, if they can take a gap year, go and instead of just you know, grabbing a backpack, go and live somewhere, go and work somewhere else. It, um, it will build your EQ and your social intelligence to a, a, a different level. Um, because I'm not sure you can just decide to have better EQ. You have to build it, build it up. And I think that the more diverse situations and people you, you deal with, that is what will do it. Yeah, no, it, it's very good. And it, it also fits with this idea of it, it, emotional social is like learning a language. And I find with a number of people, uh, in some specialities where they're, they're high IQ, but they're low EQ. Yeah. And they it's not that they can't be, they just haven't learned the skills like learning a language, which takes us on to, thank you for that one, to CQ, which is this cultural intelligence question. And it's a bit of a link, particularly with your experience of not just about people skills, but, but diversity, equality and inclusion, which comes with what you say. Anything else you'd add on CQ? Mm, um, so... 
Well, it's, it is, I think, very connected to, to the previous question in many ways. Uh, and it's connected to, to understanding that different is not wrong. It's just different. Like, uh, my father, who's, who's you know, my, my parents have moved over to Israel recently and they're living with me. And, um, and it's funny, every, um, I always have similar conversations with my father. He's got Alzheimer's, so he's got short-term memory. I'm memory. sorry, I'm sorry. It, well, he's 86, he's doing pretty well, even under those uh, circumstances. But he still you know, has uh, lots of conversations with me. And, and what I find my father, who's lived always in England, so we'll go somewhere um, and he'll come out and goes, but that was very weird. It's not like that in England, yeah? And I, and I always say to him something because I can still have these conversations where I say, well, imagine if they were in England, they think that was really weird as well. What's weird, you know? And then that stumps him, you know? <laughs> and then I give him a break and I don't want to, you know, pound him with anything more. But it's understanding that difference is not necessarily weird, it's just different and that's totally okay. And, and there's a lot, especially if we think about the business world, a lot to embrace in diversity. One of the reasons that I'm a big, advocate for diversity is not just because it's it's right but because it's commercially wise as well you yeah. don't want a lot of people around you who um all think like you because well you might as well just be on your own you're uh, exactly you're exactly right exactly right okay quick fire uh, resilience then brand then legacy top tip on being resilient and coping with setbacks and disappointments um i think if you understand that setbacks is just part of it so then you ex expect the setback, which might sound weird coming from a positive person that I am, but I think it's, it's part of it. When, when a setback comes, just understand that life is going to be full of setbacks and they're going to be full of highs as they are full of lows. So when you get the low, if you take a zoom out and you realize that that's what life is, then, then you go, oh, okay, so I'm just here now. So I just know that that's going to be sometime around the corner. I don't know. It might not be right around the corner. It might take a while. But if you're zoomed in, which a lot of people do when they're in the middle of a crisis and all they see is that low and they're consumed by that low, just got to zoom out and say, okay, okay, I get it. It's just part of life. It's part yeah. of my journey. And that's how I deal with setbacks. It's like, okay, so, and going back to what we said before, it's like, so it is what it is. How do we deal with it? Yeah, well, this is, this is lovely because being an optimist, you're different from the pessimist. The pessimist talking about the three Ps, that they see situations, as you described at the bottom there, as permanent, personal, and persistent. And that's what makes them so gloomy in that spot because they, they can't break out of, this is what happens to everybody, it always happens to me, it's all the time, that kind of stuff. So uh, quick fire, brand. What should people do about their brand, reputation, image, and impact? What do you mean? <laughs> Give me a little bit more explanation about that. So, so a tip about how you've helped develop such a good brand as you have, a personal brand, or even a brand for your, <laughs> your a brand for your companies, so the, the businesses that you set up and run. What was the one tip that you, you found worked well for you? Well, it goes back, we've said it a couple of times in this, uh, this chat, authenticity is mm -hmm. absolutely critical because you will get found out if you're not authentic. You know, when, if you're going to market, whether it's yourself or, or a brand or a company, of course, marketing can put a certain slight on things. That, that's what marketing is. But don't cross a line. And it's important that everyone can define where that line is. Um, don't cross a line where you're actually not being true to your brand or to yourself, or you're just trying to portray something that really isn't. It's, you know, when you're marketing a brand, it's okay to sort of um, highlight the good stuff. Of course, that's what marketing is. But you see a lot of a lot of excuse the term bullshit out there where yeah it's yeah nothing to do with the reality at all yeah. and that's true when it comes to people and it comes to to companies as well yeah spot on 
uh, fully agree with that. So uh, the final one before we go on to executive teams, a book, and then your top tip um, is um, legacy. What would you like your legacy to be in a personal way, in your personal life when you die? And, and also in the contribution you've made to society and the world? In a personal uh, capacity, I think it's just, um, just to have helped people. Mm -hmm. Simple as that. Just to have been there uh, to help individuals at the time where they needed it. And I had the ability to do so. I can hear that comes across from the heart, doesn't it? Yeah. Something, something happened then. That, yeah. What, what, what was yeah, going on? I get, I, get, <laughs> I get a bit emotional when, uh, when I think about these sorts of things. Because like, that's, what, that's what drives me more than anything, to be honest. Is, um, yeah. you know, if I've been... <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> No, this is this is what uh, you're being authentic, mate. This is yeah, what you want. <laughs> for sure. So, um, you know, if if I've been given um, a life of uh, of privilege, yeah, know, which yes, I've worked hard for sure, and and I've taken opportunities where they've um, around, but you know, it's it's foolhardy to think that we we are hundred percent responsible for the the lives we we receive. You know, there's luck and there's circumstances, there's lots of other things. And, I, and if I wake up today and, and on my plate is my reality, which is a hugely privileged life, I feel a huge responsibility to then have some sort of significance in that life as well. And, and for me, significance is being able to help other people. And that could be, um, and it normally is, you know, very one-to-one. -one. Um, for me, it honestly doesn't have to be some sort of, you know, hordes of people. I don't it's it's just sometimes what's easy for me to to do through my experiences and my my strengths is harder for anyone else so let's just use that i mean that's i think the key to life is is do what comes to you naturally that's hard for other people and and i've i've been so i've been moved recently um as you can see by a number of occasions where i've just sort of been blown away by how much i was able to help someone without really having to think too much about it and um and that's a gift which it is it is a gift it's very it's very clear you have it thank you thank you for that and thank you for just staying with it and thank uh, you <laughs> thank for you me not letting you off the hook um executive teams um yep. from from toxic or difficult to high performing what's your tip your one tip for turning a team around and, and from from uh being slightly toxic to being high performing um well, I think that uh, identifying where the tox any toxic nature comes from is absolutely key. Um, if you're if you've got high EQ, then you'll normally know sooner uh, if there's a specific person in your team who's toxic. Um, and the way to find out if you're not sure is through engaging with each uh, individual on the team uh, in an authentic way and that making them feel empowered to speak their truth to you uh, in a discreet manner and talking to the team as a whole. So it's a, the parallel between talking to the team together and talking to each individual to try and identify where the problem lies. And then when you know where the problem lies, if it's with a person, don't waste any time. Yeah. You know, they, and, it, and the problem with toxic people is it, it could be your strongest person on paper who's actually toxic. But going back to what I said before, if he's toxic, it doesn't matter how strong he's on paper. He, no. He's no good for you. And you have to make a quick cut. Yeah. Yeah, and time and again, people need to do that, but their, their, their false loyalty to that person 
means that the others and the performance of the whole business suffers because they're not right and they need to find their happiness elsewhere or they're just by nature a, a, a person with a lot of issues uh, and that's a whole story in itself great penultimate uh, question then uh, daniel um a favorite book what one book that you've enjoyed on i, I did it on leadership or people's lives or something that you'd recommend people read um the road less traveled by ms yes. love that book the road less traveled yeah i i know but well, i think he begins with his opening line is life is difficult full there stop you and when you accept that life is difficult it is no longer difficult <laughs> that's right exactly it's uh uh, I think I've uh, stolen that and uh, passed it off as my own piece of advice a few times. <laughs> yeah, and, and of course, poor old M. Scott Peck, he, he, he did have quite a complex life himself. I think he wasn't a particularly good father. And so a lot of the stuff that he gave his advice to everybody else, it was a bit like cobbler's shoes, that cobbler's, yeah. uh, cobbler's children have the worst shoes not looked yeah. after because the cobbler's busy doing everybody else but doesn't look after their children. And I think that was in his own story. But his advice is, is very sound. Um, okay. Then if you just introduce yourself as you did at the beginning, just say, you know, who you are and um, what you do, and then give us your two minute leadership top tip that will uh, end us nicely. Okay, all right. So um, here we go. Okay, so uh, I'm Daniel Bernard, a sports industry executive, entrepreneur and investor. And my top tip is that for leaders, always remember that it's not actually about you. Yeah. If you're in a leadership position because you've got talent, charisma, energy that people get swept up after you, always remember that that is there to serve a purpose, whether it's the business you're leading, the organization you're running, maybe some social project that you're, uh, you've created. It's not about you. And business leaders can often get confused uh, because they see themselves on the brochure, they see their name up in lights. Don't get confused. It's not about you. It's about what you're there to serve, just like technology, is never there for tech's sake, it's there to serve a purpose and to do something. Leaders are there to serve the business or the organization that they are leading. Not about Perfect. Well, Daniel, thank you very much for sharing your wisdom and experience with all the people around the world who are listening to this. Um, I've, I've found it fascinating. I know you and I are gonna have many conversations in the coming years uh, and, and you've already touched the lives of me and uh, I know it'll be many others. So thank you for your time and contribution. Thank you very, very much, Jonathan. It's been, it's been great. It's really been great being here, being here and speaking to you about everything. Thanks. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.